minister of the word and we ask that you be glorified and your people be edified we thank you in jesus name amen so we're teaching uh on the book of revelation and um i pray that uh you've been blessed by it i want to just cover three things in review of last sunday we talked about the church at philadelphia one of the reasons i like the church at philadelphia is because it was a small church at least according to history it was a small church but it was a powerful church and i i, I want to relate to the church at philadelphia i want believers bible church both locally and our extended family to be a part of that type of church that while we may not be a mega church we may not even be a large church we can be a small church numerically we can be a small church in terms of our resources but we can be a powerful church in terms of our impact in terms of our spiritual temperature and i pray that that's who we are i pray that we have that kind of persona that we are small but powerful that we have maybe a few resources but we're effective and we're impactful that's the word that rod brought up again in our sunday school this morning so here's three things that i learned from last sunday regarding the church at philadelphia the church of in greek the love of the brethren number one they were faithful i know your deeds they they were just faithful they were consistent they were as matthew 25 says sister lillian brought it up in sunday school this morning well done my good and faithful servants so just remember it's not how gifted you are it's not how talented you are is not how quote unquote we like to toss this word around anointed you are god looks at faithfulness god looks at consistency god looks at perseverance this is a marathon we're not trying to be the fastest not trying to be the strongest but he that endureth until the end shall be saved the race is not to the swift nor is the battle to the strong the bible says number two i learned last week from the church of philadelphia that they were obedient the bible says that they kept my word i love that i love what job says in job 23 when he says i have not departed from the commandments of your lips but i have treasured your words I've treasured the words of your mouth more than my necessary food and here's a third thing about this church at philadelphia they were influential. The Bible says that they had not denied his name. They were not ashamed of him. They were not undercover saints. They were not secret agent believers. They were effective. Their efficacy spread throughout their territory and they were known. They made a difference. Isn't that how you want your life to be characterized? Just making a difference, just mattering, just mentoring, just representing, being an ambassador, making your life count. Amen. Church of Philadelphia, they're worth your review. I would definitely recommend that you look at last week's Be a Berean and the extracurricular passages I gave for you to read and some of the uh, work for the overachievers. But, hey, get into the word. It makes a difference. It changes us. So here's this church now we're going to talk about. And I'll probably spend two weeks on this church because I won't get through everything today about Laodicea. But Laodicea is a very important church. I've already kind of uh, teased it a little bit by saying it was the only church of the seven that did not receive a commendation of any sort. Um, they just received a condemnation correction and they did receive consolation things that they could do to get better but the one thing about the church of laodicea which is why i thought it deserved two sermons rather than one is because i really want to talk about this term lukewarm but let me just read a little bit of it and then we'll talk about who the people at laodicea was and, and and where they were geographically and where they were spiritually so here's what it says in revelation chapter 3 verse 15 it says i know all the things you do uh, let me back it up a little bit let me start at verse 14 it says write this letter 
to the angel of the church in Laodicea. And that angel possibly means the overseer, the messenger or pastor, perhaps of that church. This is the message. Uh, by the way, let me just pause and give you a little history for a second. Ten seconds. The church, the letter that went to the church at Colossians, at Colossae, that letter, Paul also said, send this letter to Laodicea. So this is not the first time Laodicea is mentioned in Scripture. Okay, back to verse 14 of Revelation 3. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen. By the way, the word amen, so be it. Witness, confirmation. The faithful and true witness, Jesus is called the amen because this is capitalized, capital A-M-E-N, the amen. And he's described as the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. And that's also another plug for when we get saved, we have to come through Jesus. Any other way, you come as a thief and a robber. I don't care what they say in the new age movement. I don't care what they say in the liberal movement to be the big umbrella, big tent theology where everybody is saved. You know, I'm thinking of you, Carlton Pearson. Uh, when you think of people that feel like you can just be part of uh, God's family by just living in America or claiming to be a Christian versus being a Muslim. Uh, it doesn't work that way. You're, you're not saved by default. It, it's not a position that you just are born into. Salvation has to be deliberate, intentional, and it has to come and begin through Jesus Christ. According to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we're a new creation in Christ Jesus Old things have passed away. We're not the same. So there has to be a clear line of demarcation that brings us from darkness into the light. It's not an assumed position. We don't fall backwards into salvation. We're not saved because our mother and father were saved. There has to be an intentional, deliberate decision that we take, that we make to become a believer. Amen. So he goes on to say in verse 15 of Revelation chapter 3, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. We're going to explore that here in a second. Verse 16, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything. I don't need a thing. I don't, I, I, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Tell us how you really feel, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and then naked. I, I, <laughs> I, I try to be a wordsmith. I try to look at words because I want to understand what the Lord is saying in his word. And I don't believe that there were any throwaway lines. This is not like a Hollywood movie or a serial comedy or some sort of dramatic presentation where they have some filler lines or some throwaway lines or they have a placeholder here or there in one or two episodes. I, I feel like there is no wasted words in the word of God. I don't feel like any of it is superfluous. There may be passages and places in the Bible that I don't understand. I don't grasp the total meaning of it. But I don't think any of it is um, extra or unimportant. I don't think anything in God's word is unnecessary. None of it. We may not have gotten to all of the points yet. 
but everything in there is critical. Not one word, he said, of my word will change until heaven and earth have passed away. Everything is relevant. Everything in God's word is pertinent. It's all important. Everything may not apply to us at every moment of our lives, but everything in God's word is critical to our spiritual survival, our spiritual maturity, and ultimately to getting us to heaven. Now, I, I feel like when we look at this passage here in Revelation 3 about this final seventh and last church, I think if you want to look at this from an economy standpoint or from a dispensational standpoint, the Laodicean church could represent the last day church, the church of today, the 21st century church and, and, uh, and beyond. It, it represents churches where they have become complacent and indifferent, blatantly um, neutral, passive churches that have just gotten really un uh, uninvolved and I, I i started looking at what the lord's words were here and i see three major indictments to the church at laodicea here's number one he said there in verse 15 says i know all the things you do that right there tells me that the Lord is watching. He's paying attention to us. Don't think that you're existing in a bubble. Don't think that you are flying under the radar. You may, you may think that, Hey, I live a very nondescript nonchalant life. And I'm just, you know, keeping my head down, doing my thing. God sees you. God knows us. He's aware of what we're doing and why we're doing it. He says, and you're neither hot nor cold. So that's indictment number one. He said, I wish you were one or the other. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. And I would implore you today to look at your life. Where, where do you think your spiritual temperature is this morning? Where do you stand? Where are you? I know probably the majority of people would tend to say that they're probably hotter than they are that they're I'm not a bad person I'm, I'm not I'm not I mean I'd be setting the world on fire but you know I'm not bad I'm not mean I'm not evil I don't rob steal rape uh, murder um, keep up trouble I'm, I'm not a drunkard I don't you know abuse drugs I, I you know I'm, I'm an okay guy I'm an okay gal, whatever your, your position is. And, and, and that would miss the point, in my opinion, of what the Lord's indictment against the church at Laodicea was. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. You're not on fire. You're, you're not, maybe cold in this particular sense could mean that their love had drawn cold like the church at Ephesus that we talked about in chapter two, maybe coal in this particular context means that you um, are cold spiritually, that you were on fire and you kind of just gotten away from the things of the, the Lord and you're just sort of treading water. Maybe coal means that you're not even saved to begin with never were saved, just come in the church. I mean, sinners come to church all the time, right? Unsaved people come to church all the time. doesn't mean that they're bought in. I've heard people say over the years, I go to the church because I just like the singing. I like the music there. I go to the church because I like the way the pastor talks. I like the way the church runs. I like the ambience there. Some people may say, I just go to church just to appease my guilty conscience because I was brought up in the church. People go to church and claim salvation and Christianity for all kinds of reasons, some of which are invalid, some of which are unbiblical. So I don't know, you know, if the coal here means this person is a non-believer 
or if the cold means that this person is a believer that is literally on life support, like some of the other churches we talked about, maybe Sardis, maybe Thyatira, maybe Ephesus. So indictment number one is that you're not hot or cold. You're not on fire and you're not cold. Now, the only thing I can think about of, of why being hot or cold would matter in this particular context is that I maybe at least if you're cold, if you're cold, if you want to look at this analogy in this way, I'm going to give you a, an alternative uh, approach to decoding this analogy or metaphor but if you're cold, at least you're not under the delusion that you're a believer. You're still reachable. You're a mission field. Whereas, you know, if you're not there, if you're lukewarm, maybe you feel like you've already arrived. But I can only see cold in that context being a person that is unsaved or a person that is basically, if they have ever accepted the Lord, they're now at a place of just essentially being reprobate, as we would say, backslidden. Indictment number two against the church at Laodicea, still here in, in verse 15, he says that you are, um, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. Verse 16, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So let's talk about this lukewarm word for a second. Interestingly enough, interestingly enough, where Laodicea was situated geography, they were far from the coast. Ephesus was right on the coast. They had a natural body of water there. Of the seven churches that we've studied, Laodicea is the furthest church inland. They had no natural springs. They had no natural water sources, no lakes, no rivers, no, uh, not near a sea or an ocean. So they had to get water from another source. Kind of like, I think Arizona gets a lot of its water from Colorado by way of the Colorado River. Um, Laodicea was positioned geographically where they received their water through a couple of underground stone aqueducts an aqueduct is basically like a, a pipe or a conduit that delivers water from a remote source so in the case of Laodicea they would get cold water from the city of Colossae yes that's that's the one from which we get the book of Colossians they would get cold refreshing water from Colossae. And then there was another city miles away called Heropopolis, and they would receive hot water there because Heropopolis had these hot water springs. And we know that hot water has medicinal purposes, it has cleansing purposes, it has purposes for cooking, for bathing. So they had these two outside water sources that through these underground stone aqueducts would deliver water into Laodicea because they didn't have any natural water reservoirs or resources of their own. Here's the problem. By the time the cool water arrived in Laodicea from Colossae through these stone underground aqueducts, the water had become cooler i mean that water had become warmer it had become dirty it had become soiled with calcium that it's picking up picking up from the stone and so by the time this cool water from Colossae, which would have been otherwise refreshing and thirst quenching and comforting the water is now tepid dirty murky and lukewarm then the hot water source that was being delivered to the, through these underground aqueducts, by the time it reached them from the hot springs, the water had cooled down tremendously. And now the water that's reaching them that they needed to be hot was now lukewarm, not fit for drinking. 
And so perhaps we don't have incontrovertible evidence of this, but perhaps the Lord was saying, you're like your, your spiritual life is like the temperature of your water that gets delivered to your city. It's not cool enough to be refreshing or quench any thirst. And it's not hot enough to be used for medicinal purposes or for bathing or cooking. It's just useless. And if you try to drink it, you just want to spit it out. Maybe the, the analogy or this metaphor about lukewarm had less to do with the temperature and maybe it had more to do with the usefulness of the water. Water that is cool, that's cold, is useful. You can drink it. You can use it for other purposes. Water that is hot has purposes. It's useful. But when it's lukewarm and dirty and contaminated and tepid, it's basically useless. And basically the Lord was indicting the church at Laodicea with this second incrimination by saying, you're essentially like useless water. You're not making a difference. You're not refreshing and you're not healing. You're not cooling and you're not able to be used for cleansing. It's just basically a bad position. And so we, we, we know, we know from physics that there is this thing I've, I've referred to it before called the second law of thermodynamics. And, and the second law simply stated, the second law of thermodynamics just basically says that all things in nature is in a constant state of disorder. It's in a constant state of devolving or, or, or going down or dying. And, and, and a, if, you, if you look at water that's in a closed system that's not receiving any sort of outside influencing, water that just sits in a cold system, it can start out really hot or really cold. But if nothing is added to that, if there's no other influences to that water, then the second law of thermodynamics kicks in. That water just assumes ambient temperature. It assumes the temperature of its vessel, of its container. So if, if you're starting out, say, at, as neutral water, and there's no heat being added to you, there's no increase in BTU content, there's no increase in your thermometer spiritually, then you're just going to default to this position of devolving to lukewarmness because nothing is being added to your life. Nothing's heating you up. There's no prayer life going on. There's no word going on. There's no worship going on. There's nothing that's changing the spiritual climate of your life. So you're just detente. You're just passive. You're neutral. You're lukewarm. You're tepid. You're terrible. And so the Lord is saying that we need these outer in, we need the influence of, of his word, of worship. We need the outside heat of, of prayer, fervent prayer, so that we can get our temperature up. We all started out on cloud nine when we accepted the Lord. Depending on what we did after that, the temp determines where our spiritual temperature is now. If there's been no outside influence that has kept us hot and heating us up, then we're going to, by default, just get cooler and cooler until we're lukewarm. Ambient temperature, worthless to God. Oh, yeah, and there was one third indictment. He says, and I'm going to read the third indictment because this is, this is really good. He says in verse 17, you say, I'm in, I'm in Revelation 3. It says, you say I am rich and I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. By the way, I'm reading from the New Living there just to make it plain, more clear. That's the equivalent. Let me just sort of decode that. That's the equivalent of saying, well, I'm good. We're good. I'm okay. You're okay. Everything is fine. Why rock the boat? Sometimes we confuse 
monetary and economic success. Mark brought up a good point in Sunday school this morning about a person that felt that, you know, receiving a job that paid more money by default was a blessing from God. Not always. Not always. Physical and financial economic success doesn't always mean that we're in the right place spiritually. Just because things appear to be going our way doesn't mean that we're necessarily where God wants us to be. It requires a direct effort on our part to remain obedient. We have to be feeding that closed water source, that system. We need to be constantly fueling it with heat of God's word, heat of God's worship and praise, heat of prayer that is fervent, that is mighty, that is powerful, that is effectual and fervent. That's what we need to be doing to add to that temperature. Not just relying on our past laurels, not resting on our past accomplishments. Amen. Verse 15 says, I'm sorry, 17 says, so you say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need anything. John concludes that verse by saying, and this is the Lord speaking to John. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I just want to focus on that next to last term because I think that is the third indictment against the church at Laodicea. That they were blind. What do you mean, Pastor Will? I mean that I think the Lord is incriminating them because they did not recognize their spiritual lukewarmness. They didn't recognize the position they were in. They didn't recognize that they weren't in a good place spiritually. They were coming to church, no doubt, perhaps participating in the auxiliaries and the organizations and the groups within the church. Maybe they were even part of a missions group. They were part of perhaps the youth organization. Maybe they were part of the usher board. Maybe they were part of the ministerial staff. They were involved in activities that were not necessarily accomplishing anything towards the kingdom. Don't confuse activity with accomplishment. The two are very distinct and they're different. Don't confuse busy work with productivity. Some people just hide behind their work so that they don't have to pray and fast and study their Bible and worship and serve and, and contribute. Some people hide behind their talents and their gifts and their giving. And they use that as a substitute for getting hot, for doing the things that increases our spiritual temperature, like prayer and fasting and Bible study and service, and worship, and praise, and giving, and helping. Like, like we were talking this morning about James in Core 52, about true religion and undefiled before God, is that we help the widows and orphans in their distress, and that we keep ourselves unspotted from the world. There is a deliberate, intentional, positive action that we need to do to stay hot, to stay on fire for God, lest we end up like those saints over Matthew 7, 21 through 23, I think, that said, Lord, 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 didn't, didn't we prophesy in your name? Did, did, did not we cast out demons in your name? Did not we do other miracles in your name? See, people sometimes confuse activity and gifts, and works, and deeds, and, and, and ministries, and talents, and abilities. They confuse that with accomplishment. They confuse that with obedience. The Lord said, hey, I never knew you. Translated, I never authorized that. I never approved that. You didn't do that in my name. You didn't do that with my blessing. You didn't do that with my authorization. You did that out of self. You did it on your own. I don't know what you're talking about. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. 
You do not want to hear those words. Read it for yourself. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, I believe it is, or somewhere in that neighborhood. You read that, and you will see that there are people that, unfortunately, as it says in 2 Timothy, confuse the whole concept of having a form of godliness with actually being godly. But Paul very poignantly and articulately told young Timothy, hey, there are those that will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof. They will deny the power of the Holy Spirit. They will deny the power of God in them. And they will use their quote-unquote facade, their, their, their fake holiness as a means of declaring their spiritual temperature. So those were the three indictments. That's essentially the heart and soul of my message. That they were not hot nor cold, and the Lord wished they were either. Number two, but unfortunately they were lukewarm of, of no use or service or purpose to anyone. Basically fit to be spewing out of one's mouth. And number three, perhaps the most damning indictment of the three is that they were ignorant of all of the above they were ignorant of indictments one and two they were blind they thought they were somebodies and they were nobodies they thought they were on top of the world spiritually and they were at the bottom they thought because of their physical and financial and social success that that translated into spiritual successes don't always don't always think because you're doing well financially socially economically business wise work wise educational wise that that means that god is rewarding you because you are also spiritually the bomb not always. God's gifts are without repentance. And the sun does shine on the just as well as the unjust. There are a lot of atheists, agnostic, God-haters out there that are doing quite well financially, doing quite well, you know, career-wise, perhaps even doing well maritally. Um. Don't, don't confuse the two. Don't confuse the two. And I think that's what the Lord is warning this church. I think he's warning us this morning. Don't let indifference set in. Don't let complacency set in. Don't, don't, don't let spiritual mediocrity set in. Don't, don't let our laziness and apathy set in. You may not know exactly where you stand with the Lord in terms of your spiritual temperature, but you can take the attitude that David took in Psalms 139. Search me. Read those last two verses of Psalms 139. I don't know exactly what the numbers are right now, but I know they're the last two verses of that chapter. Search me, O God. Search me. Lay me open. Lay me open bare. Don't, don't leave anything unscrutinized. Search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. In other words, reveal me to me. Expose me to me. Open me up so that I can see my problems, my shortcomings. Don't let me be disillusioned. Don't let me be blind to where I'm at spiritually like these saints in, in Laodicea were. Don't let me be impervious to the fact that I'm thinking I'm rich and successful and everything is taken care of and I'm good with God, I'm good with man. 
when really I'm wretched and miserable and blind and poor and naked. <laughs> Not my words. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> I'm just telling you what it says here in this 17th verse of Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to talk more next week about the latter part of this passage because it's so good. Read your homework is to read 18 through 22 because it's a great conclusion. But this church, I thought, deserved two Sundays because there's just so many uh, good things there uh, for, for us to learn. So I would be remiss to close without telling you how I think we can move from this spiritual detente this this spiritual passivity this indifference this mediocrity complacency to a place of being on fire so i wrote down i was thinking about this this week and i wrote down i think i started with like 30 different things that what is it what does lukewarm look like and i sort of whittled this down to maybe 10 things it, it probably could be a few less maybe it could be a few more now look don't be offended because every every one of these things has uh there, there may be some conditions uh there may be some exceptions but i came up with 10 signs or 10 things that looks like lukewarm number one god is not first in their life uh, you may give your leftover money, time, and service, and talents to God as opposed to giving him your first fruits. I said, number two, this person may have lots of unbelieving friends. And I don't think that we need to be, you know, we talked about this morning. We don't need to be isolationless. We don't need to, you know, isolate ourselves. We don't need to become hermits and operate as though we're monks in a monastery. You know, I don't I don't think that we need to live like that, a recluse, spiritual recluses. But but I don't think that we should just be hanging out with a bunch of unsaved friends all the time that can run the risk of potentially compromising our testimony and our, our efficacy as a believer. Uh, number three, I said a lukewarm person might look like they'd rather be accepted socially than to reveal their Christian faith. How, how many of your unsaved friends know that you're a believer? How many of your unsaved friends respect that you're a believer? I put number four, they have a decreased interest in the things of God. Number five, they don't read the Bible very much and probably study even less because there is a difference between reading the word and studying the word, a la 2 Timothy 2.15. I put down number six, they don't pray very much. This is what it, I, I wanted to give you a picture of what a lukewarm person may. May is the operative word. What a lukewarm person, according to Revelation 3, the church of Laodicea, may look like. They may not pray very much, if at all. Number seven, I said, they may not share their faith very often, if at all. Number eight, I said, lukewarm people tend to make excuses for their sinful behavior. They equivocate. They compromise. They try to justify or rationalize what they're doing or not doing. That's a lukewarm person. That's a, that's a bad look. Number nine, they only seriously turn to God when things go bad or they're in trouble. You know those type of people? They really only seriously pray when something bad is going down. And number 10, what lukewarm looks like possibly is people are more worried about what others think about them than what God would think of them. That's why I love so much. That's why I love so much what Psalms 139 says. Lord, you search me. Lord, you check me out. Lord, you, you make sure that I'm doing the right thing. Amen. You make sure that I'm right. And I, and I think that's 
I, I, I really think that's where, as believers, we should be asking the Lord, Lord, evaluate me, help me. I haven't arrived. I have shortcomings. I want to be holy. I want to be perfect before you. I want to be righteous. So, Lord, I don't want to be like that stagnant water in the closed system that's just basically taking on the temperature of the vessel, the container it's in. I don't want to be driven by circumstances. My life is no better than the circumstances and situations around me. I'm not in control. I only respond to stuff. I only respond to the world as opposed to being proactive and impacting the world with my life, with my witness, with my words, with my influence, with my salt, with my light. So if you find yourself in one of those 10 supposed categories that I put together of what a lukewarm person look like, if, if any part of that or that represents you, then you need to add some heat to your life. You need to add some spiritual BTU value to your life. You need to increase the temperature of your life spiritually. Amen? You do. You do. I love, I, you know, I talked about, you know, I talked about the second law of thermodynamics that says you're going to continue to just d decrease into a, a, a state of, a state of disorder or things are just going to continue to cool thing cool down because you're not doing anything to heat them up right so i i thought about what peter said first second peter says this second peter chapter one verse five the king james version says and beside this giving all diligence add to your faith virtue see what peter is saying here is that if you want to keep from becoming lukewarm, if you want to keep from being tepid and distasteful and, and empathetic and, and, and indifferent and lackadaisical and complacent, if you want to stop the spiral, the downward spiral to non-effectiveness and nothingness, then Peter says you need to add you need to add to your faith virtue. You need to give all diligence. Really focus on this. He says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he says, add to your faith virtue and add to that virtue knowledge, knowledge of God's word. Verse 6 says, and add to that knowledge, temperance, and to the temperance, patience, and to the patience, godliness, and to the godliness, brotherly kindness, and to the brotherly kindness, love or charity. He says, you got to keep adding to what you got. There is no safe place. You can't go on autopilot. You cannot go on spiritual cruise control. You got to keep putting the pedal to the metal. You got to keep pushing forward. You got to keep adding to your life these virtues, these qualities, these attributes that will increase your effectiveness in the kingdom and make you worthy and useful to God and not distasteful. I love how 2 Peter 1.8 concludes that little area. I'm, I'm going to switch over from the KJV to the NAS because I like the word it has. It says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Woo! If these qualities are yours. They have to keep increasing. They have to keep growing. The temperature has to keep going up. The thermometer has to keep going up. It can't stay stagnant. Peter says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will render you neither useless. There's our word. There's our word. Bam. There it is. Useless. Lukewarm water. Useless. Lukewarm people. Useless to God's kingdom. Certainly not taking advantage of their full potential. Peter says if you are increasing in these areas and these qualities are yours and ever increasing they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our lord jesus christ y'all gotta get that isn't that good 
Isn't that good? Please go home and read Second Peter chapter 1, the whole chapter. But focus. I know I gave you Psalms 139. I know. So you have a lot of homework. Plus, you have Brother Beecham's homework in First John. But it's all good. You know, and let me just say this as a little sidebar. I know a lot of you have your personal devotions that you do. And please continue that. I applaud you. But, but what would make these messages, what would make these lessons and revelation, actually in any area that we teach, more useful and productive and helpful to you and transformative is if you, if you read this through the week, go back to james122.org and, and re-listen to the message or on iTunes or however you get podcasts or audio content. Read the notes again and look up the references. Look up the references that I've given today. Look at the passages that I include in the Be a Berean section, which is essentially a breakdown of my source material for each of the lessons. Go back and add, add, add to your faith virtue and add to that virtue knowledge, the knowledge of God's word. If you do that, the Bible says that you will not fall. In the same passage, he talks about that. You will not be useless and you will not be rendered unfruitful. Amen. Boy, that's just, just good. I'm excited. I'm at, I'm at the end. I'm done. I'm done, but I'm, but I'm pumped. I'm, I'm really pumped about this lesson. I don't even have a Monday morning moment this morning. I was, I was, I thought about it. I don't have one. I'll give one next week for both lessons, but I pray that, I pray that the Lord will touch you and use these words in his from his word not my words but that he will use his word in revelation and first peter and matthew 7 and psalms 139 and i didn't even talk about uh well i, I will next time didn't even talk about romans chapter 11 or chapter 12 verse 11 and, and other passages that talks about. So, so next week I'll, I'll spend more time on, on how to get hot, how to move from cold to hot, how to move from lukewarm to hot. And once we get hot, once we get on fire, friends on fire, once we get on fire for the Lord, how to stay there, how to keep that burning passion like those two guys on the road to Emmaus and Luke 24 that says did not our hearts burn within us when he explained the word to us that that's where the fire comes from it doesn't come praise and worship is good service is good giving is good helping is good all those things are part of the outworking of our faith but the heat the, the knowledge that the, the energy from God's word, that that instruction that comes from his word. That's where we are rejuvenated. That's where we're re-energized. That's where our hearts burn within us with a fervency and an effective effectiveness. It comes from God's word because it informs our thinking. It informs our actions. It informs our thought life. It causes us to do the right things because we think the right things and we think the right things because God has spoken to our hearts through his word in our spirit and we are agreeing with our words we are agreeing with the spirit that's in us we are agreeing with his word that's what's transformative that's what makes a difference don't become so philosophical, so esoteric, so abstract that you miss the absolute critical, important things of God's word. Make sure that you lock in and focus in on what matters most. 
It's not religion. It's not education. It's not intelligentsia. It's not philosophy. It's not having debates and discussions on, on anything, even if it's apologetics. What really moves the needle in our life? What really transforms us? What really changes our thinking and changes our living and changes our actions and changes our attitude is the word of God. When we are spending time in his word and we're meditating and we're praying and we're quiet and we're undistracted and we're surrendered, that's when God can have his way in our lives and change us and reform us and rebuild us and renew us. Mm. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. I'm stopping, but I'm not done. I'm quitting, but I'm not finished. But in the interest of time, Lord, I just ask you that your word would not return void, that it will challenge us this morning, that this word, Lord, will push us, push us into the deep that it will get us out of our seats of complacency, out of our chairs of indifference, that this will challenge us to pick up the pace, to move forward. Lord, Lord, please have your way in our lives. Help us, Lord, not to be lukewarm. If we are lukewarm, Lord, help us to get on fire. If we're on fire, Lord, help us to stay on fire. We'll talk more next week about what that looks like. But, Lord, we had a glimpse of it this morning by continuing to add, add, increase, letting those virtues, letting those attributes increase in our lives that's how we get hot and that's how we stay hot bless us this week help us to be doers of your word lord may you be glorified and may your people be edified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to ask the elders if they would lead us into the Lord's table. Hopefully you have your